What's up, guys? And welcome back to the Uncultured Cinematic Universe. Uh, each episode, we take a look at a classic and iconic uh, film, or in this case, series, uh, from two perspectives, that of the diehard fan and that of the uncultured who's never seen it before until now. Uh, we are your hosts, Justin and Joe, and today we're going to be discussing a cartoon miniseries that I deem to be one of the greatest pieces of modern media ever created. And I am not exaggerating. <laughs> We're talking about the 2014 Cartoon Network original Over the Garden Wall. Uh, as a reminder, you guys can watch us on YouTube or listen to us wherever you get your, spo uh, your podcasts, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, just search for The Uncultured Cinematic Universe and you can find us there. Uh, so yeah, without further ado, Let's help ourselves to another bowl of potatoes and molasses and try not to give in to the beast while we discuss <laughs> over the garden wall. Uh, Joe, this is, this is something that I love so much, and I am so glad that you were game to want to talk about it. We, we did something special this week. You actually came over to my house where I live. I gave you food, and we, we watched this together. It was a real Halloween moment. It really was. Uh, if you follow us on Instagram, check us out. UCU podcast. Uh, Always plug in. Got to plug it, baby. Um, it'll be linked in the description, of course. ABP, always be plug in. That's right. Uh, is that a thing? Do people yeah. say that? Okay, I love that. Um, but yeah, there was a picture that we threw up uh, of me and Joe just chilling on the couch watching this thing. Um, and it was a good time. I'm glad you got to see a little bit deeper into my soul of why I love this so much. Yeah, Justin uh, came into my house the day we were supposed to watch Over the Garden Wall and just like plumped down this full body size skeleton with a <laughs> pumpkin for a head with no context. And nope. the day only went uphill from there. It did. It did. That was a great, that was a great Saturday, you know, mm. looking back. So yeah, um, so what we're going to do, because I think the last couple times we kind of waited a little late. So I'm going to go ahead and throw in do the trailer. Do the trailer. Although, yeah. okay, so this is a mini series. There was no trailer for this. So this is Why? the intro. Did they just like drop it without telling anyone? Well, I'm not familiar with how they did it. And I'm sure there's a trailer out there, but I couldn't find it. But I did find the intro, like the very intro, and we'll 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 discuss it Good a little enough. bit. So here we go. Let's do this. It's a great start. Mm. Led through the mist by the milk light of moon, all that was lost is revealed. Our long bygone burdens, mere echoes of the spring. But where have we come, and where shall we end if dreams can't come true? Then why not pretend how the gentle wind beckons through the leaves as autumn colors fall? <laughs> Somewhere lost in the clouded annals of history lies a place that few have seen, a mysterious place called the unknown where long forgotten stories are revealed to those who travel through the wood 
Yeah. So it's ugh. for for those uh, listeners who are listening and not watching uh, what what it essentially is, is like this. I, I always picture like a storybook when I look at it mm-hmm. uh, from like the 70s or 80s or something like some yeah. old storybook from my childhood or something like that. And it looks like almost like old style animation of like cut out um, characters moving against like a really still uh, like really well like painted background. Yeah, it's super folksy. There's like someone who sounds like Leonard Cohen kind of (laughs) uh, narrating the whole thing. Um, It's great. Yeah. um, So that that voice and the opening song and he does a couple other ones um, is this like American uh, classic uh, performing artist from the 50s and 60s. And he did some stuff later. Jack Jones. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Okay. Um, I'd never heard of him before other than this. But um, earlier this year, uh, we were at home hanging out with our you know new baby daughter with just TV on in the background. And we're watching old game show network television or whatever. And it's old, uh, like from the 60s and stuff, uh, Password and other stuff like that where they had you know celebrities come on and be be guests uh and jack jones was one of them and i was like that guy sounds familiar and that name and then it's the connection very cool wow. yeah he's this prolific yeah. prolific singer very cool but um yeah the the intro joe i'm sure you've noticed now that you've watched it each of those like little vignettes that pops up is like a snapshot into kind of what's going on in each episode mm-hmm um, it, 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 I mean, we'll get into it, but it's very much split into little vignettes in episodes, this entire mini series. It's like a little story, a new location, new set of characters with, uh, each episode that these two main characters kind of flow through. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is, it is kind of a cool mashup at the beginning. Cause you're like, does this take place in the forest? Does it take place on a farm? Does it take place in a haunted mansion? Like what's oh, yeah. exactly happening here? Yeah. It's like, what am I even looking at? And as soon as you finish, I highly recommend going back and watching that intro again, because you're like, oh, that's from that one. And that's, oh, that's from that spot. <laughs> Very cool stuff. But yeah, so here we go. Let's, let's look through some main stats here. Yeah. So this is over the garden wall. This was a broadcast, um, that originally aired on Cartoon Network uh, the week of November 3rd through the 7th in 2014. So not that far long ago, but, uh, you know, what is that, eight years now? Yeah, Um, it's, um, so the headquarters for Cartoon Network are here in Atlanta, and they were across the street from where I went to school. mm -hmm. So, like, every day I would walk by it, and it was usually, like, Adventure Time and stuff, uh, kind of their mainstays, and then... Yeah, that fall of 2014, it was this weird looking poster that just had these two kids on you it. You saw like it over the garden wall. You saw um, it in yeah, real I, life. Oh my! I remember God. seeing this poster up. It's like this massive, like two story tall advertisement that they have. I never saw the episodes. I love that. Um, but I was like, "Ooh, that looks spooky." Yeah, very uh, cool. It was perfect for the time of year. You know, November. This is uh, perfectly encapsulates the autumnal spirit. Mm. the the halloween vibes the this uh, really the, is autumn the miniseries it really is yeah so this was created by patrick McHale. joe do you know patrick McHale? if i just name drop that name no but i did do a little digging and yeah. i know his connection to adventure time yeah yeah he worked with uh um pendleton ward on developing 
Adventure Time and mm-hmm. stayed on for a couple seasons at the beginning. But yeah, he was the main writer and storyboard artist for another Cartoon Network series called The Marvelous Misadventures of Captain Flapjack. Uh, if you watch, uh, I, I missed that one. Yeah, if you watch Over the Garden Wall on on Hulu, that's one of the recommended shows that pops up like as soon as it's done. It's like you just watch this, you should watch this. Um, very cool. But yeah, so this obviously, and you you touched on it earlier, of big inspiration from like the 1900s artwork and cartoons colonial folklore germanic and old english folklore it is just uh, a a rich bounty of old kind of storytelling pieces which is awesome yeah it's very grim fairy tales but also very american uh, in that way too it's americanized for sure but yeah it was a a 10 episode miniseries um that aired that week in that that fair autumn week in november back in 2014 Mm. And it's 10 episodes. They're roughly like 11, 12 minutes. So all told, really it's like well. an hour and a half, hour 40, easy in and out. But man, uh, it is it is fantastic. So before we dig any deeper and talk about other things, Joe, I want to hand over the quote unquote microphone to you. I'm going to give you two and a half minutes to do your damnedest and give me a plot description of what all takes place and over the garden wall. I will certainly try to give you a two and a half minute plot description of this 10 episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not that bad. You got it. It's not that hard. So here we go. We got two and a half minutes on the clock. You can't see it. There it is. Give me time. All right. Are you ready? Three, two, one. Let's get started. Okay, we open on a dense forest in an unknown time and location where two half-brothers, Wirt and Greg, appear to be lost. Wirt is older, more responsible, and is constantly worrying about things. His younger brother, Greg, is more happy-go-lucky and quirky, to what some might call an annoying degree, but not me, of course. Um, Over the course of ten episodes, the two brothers will embark on a series of adventures through these woods, encountering supernatural friends and foes, both quaint and maybe dangerous, and along the way maybe learn a little more about themselves, all against the backdrop of a beautiful, beautiful, folksy fall countryside. Their adventure begins when they meet the woodsman, an old man who is obsessed with making lamp oil and who warns them about the beast in the woods who may want to hurt them. The brothers rightfully <laughs> ignore this abrasive person and continue with their Alice in Wonderland metaphor journey, eventually coming across a sarcastic talking bird named Beatrice, who they befriend and who maybe develops confusing romantic tension with work. <laughs> and then Greg finds a pet frog that he keeps naming after other characters that they meet throughout the show. The group continues their episodic adventures, which include escaping from a town taken over by a pumpkin skeleton cult that may or may not want to murder them, helping a musical school teacher pay her rent and find love, starting a bar fight, attempting to rob the eccentric owner of a mansion in the middle of the woods that may be haunted, enacting death on the mile with a bunch of frogs, befriending a poor maiden who is more than she appears, and having overly hallucinogenic dream sequences. While all this is happening, we come to realize that the beast is real and takes the form of a shadowy creature with antlers who seems to be in some sort of dark versus light soul battle with the woodsman. Wirt and Greg get caught in the middle. Greg is kidnapped by the beast. And in the biggest minute. M. Night Shyamalan's The Village, we find out through flashback that Wirt and Greg are actually from a regular modern town and that maybe this entire show is them hallucinating while slowly drowning after they fall over a garden wall into a river while being chased by the cops on Halloween because Wirt freaked out over his crush listening to his mixtape. In the end, though, it doesn't really matter what's real or not because all victories are moral ones. Wirt and the woodsman confront the beast and get Greg back when the woodsman blows out a lantern that maybe contains the soul of his deceased daughter. It's a little confusing. And we get a slightly terrifying flash of the beast's true mutated form before he's defeated in darkness. 
Wirt and Greg return to reality as more confident people and more loving and understanding brothers, and the residents of the magical land that definitely isn't Wonderland are all better for their influence, including Beatrice, who is finally able to break the curse on herself and her family and make them all human again with a pair of scissors from a murdered witch. Ten seconds remaining. Joe, fucking fantastic, my friend. It helped that you wrote it down. It definitely helped that I wrote it down. It's kind of cheating, but I'll let it pass. <laughs> because so much happens. But Making me give the plot description of a miniseries is kind of cheating. I mean, it's no different than a movie, I guess. But you did really well. You did admirably, mm-hmm. I will say. Um, but yeah, you nailed it all on the head uh, with classic Joe whimsy that oh. you added to it. Um, which, you know, I would give a capital W to this series with whimsy. Uh, that's that's what it's full of it's very whimsical yeah so i want to talk about why we chose this episode and why it's important to me this is obviously mine it's spooky season um this one encapsulates what i think of fall uh when i think of the you know the the burr months october september november those are my favorite months of the year um and this captures it perfectly to a T the music the the color scape everything uh and yeah so at the top I said that this is my absolute favorite piece of media to ever exist like just because it just it it is it's perfect to me so where I mean did you watch it live like where were you when you first watched it I didn't watch it live and I'm kicking myself that I did but I didn't have cable at the time you know cut the cord back then it was it was still relatively new but um, I saw the first episode in a bottle, um, you know, a moment captured in time, um, sometime in 2015. So it was like a year after it had, it had premiered. Um, uh, one of my, went over to one of my best friend's house at the times and uh, he was showing, um, they were watching it or something. They just watched it. They want to sh- watch it again. And they're like, we're going to show this first episode. Pay attention. Cause like, Oh, there's that scene, and oh, there's this scene. It's super cool. They were talking about stuff that I had no idea about. Um, like, oh, look, it's the woodsman from the beginning, or whatever. And I was like, well, I don't even know what what you're even talking about. Is this Pokemon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is this television show? It's Cartoon Network. <laughs> what? Um, but yeah, they were discussing like the elements from the intro that um, show up in the later episodes and how important it is. And I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So I remember kind of half paying attention to the episode, but never finished it because I had to go, I had to leave or whatever. But uh, later in 2016, so a year later, finally sat down with that same friend and another one uh, at the time. And we just dove in and like, you know, like, we're going to watch this. We're going to, you know, turn down all the lights. We're going to watch it all night. It's going to be great. Uh, and immediately I was just, I was hooked um, into it. Uh, completely engrossed in the story, the visuals, the music, ate every single bit of it up. Um, you know, afterwards, I was just obsessed with it. I got a hold of a limited release vinyl that has like really cool artwork to it and music, sheet music and stuff attached to it. Super cool. But um, yeah, I, I love this so much. I, I have a tattoo sleeve of it. Um, it's you really, do, yeah. it's really fun. People have no idea. A lot of people don't know what it is, but the people that do recognize it are like, that's awesome. So who do you have highlighted on your tattoo sleeve? Oh, uh, let's see. So I have uh, Greg and Wirt, Mm -hmm. as well as Jason Funderburker, (laughs) the frog, (laughs) hanging out right there. Um, They're the main piece at the top. They're walking through, you know, just the unknown or whatever. 
Then I got the beast and then the woodsman. I have a rock fact rock right here on my <laughs> wrist. I have the scissors, the scissors from Adelaide at the mixtape. Um, and then, oh, in wow. and then in here I've got, uh, Enoch and, uh, there's Quincy Endicott and the highway man and, uh, Lorna as well. So, so yeah, the, my biggest gasp from like, well, one of my biggest gasps from looking <laughs> at the voice cast of this, uh, series is that Chris Isaac is in it playing someone named Enoch. Who was Enoch in this series? I forget. Enoch was the, you find out at the end, but Enoch is the cat who is sitting in like that giant pumpkin head in Pottsville. Uh, yeah. Even the pumpkin cult. Okay. Yeah. So Chris Isaac, you know, of Wicked Games, and mm -hmm. I'm sure he did other songs, but that's the one he's known for. He did. They're amazing. He, uh, he also sings one of the songs that's in that episode, that Pottsfield episode of, um, you know, Patient is the Night. Uh, it's, it's so good. But yeah, he does the voice of Enoch of just, you know, that, quiet menacing weird giant pumpkin thing and super cool. i mean quiet menacing and weird kind of describes this entire series um in the best possible way and and one of the things that we're kind of dancing around that like i i didn't really mention in the plot description is that pretty much every episode has an original song in it at some point yes um, there yeah. there is at least one song and if you go back on another listen or watch through there's like elements of other songs mm -hmm. in different episodes themes the main one that i noticed the first time i was like that sounds really familiar and then i noticed it in, in different other ones so when they're in the school mrs langtree's school for animals <laughs> <laughs> when it's mealtime when they go back and she's just kind of lamenting playing at the piano or whatever it's the melody of patient is the night from the previous episode mm before she bangs into potatoes and molasses. Um, and then there's a couple other exa examples in other episodes of like, oh, that's like I'm hearing tinges of other songs. Um, it's really cool. Now, had you seen Adventure Time kind of going into this? Because I, I haven't ever really seen too much of Adventure Time either. I, I had seen like up to like season three or four when it gets a little bit more, um, a little darker. Honestly, mm -hmm. the first two seasons are kind of a little bit more for kids. And then uh, there's a there's a darker turn in season three or four or something like that. But I, I never really finished it. But the same friend who showed it to me uh, both of these times, Brian, um, he, he loves Adventure Time and, mm -hmm. you know, swears by it. And, you know, has shown me multiple episodes that are deeper into the series that are really philosophical and heady and dark, which fit the same kind of vibe as Over the Garden Wall. Um, yeah, so, so I was kind of familiar with that kind of push and pull that like, it is still a cartoon at the end of the day, but like, there's really complex layers to it and, um, a really dark, dark as fuck story going on too. Yeah. You can definitely tell like, uh, just from what I know of Adventure Time that the roots are there in terms of just like, uh, the kind of dark tones behind the story, the different variety of like literal species at play in terms yeah. of all the characters, but that they definitely went for a different animation style here. Yeah, um, they did. Um, you know, a lot of, yeah, you touched on it, the, like the layered backgrounds and the painting and the textures that like, mm -hmm. I noticed that in episode one, like as soon as the boys come across the woodsman in the woods, like, 
like the way that the light is bouncing off their face and sh- cascading a shadow on the tree behind them, like the texture of the tree is insane. It's like, I've never, I, I've probably seen that before, but I haven't seen it in a long time and it looks mm-hmm. so good. Um, it looks almost like felty. It's, it's, it's lots of like solid, uh, kind of like darker muted colors against these like gorgeous backgrounds. And I, I, I think one of the things we were talking about as we were watching it is like, a lot of people say that this is an example of an Americanized studio Ghibli. Uh, production, yes. Right? That, that is one thing I definitely glommed onto as well. Like as, as you get later in the series, you see characters with like different size heads and bodies and it feels mm-hmm. studio Ghibli esque in that, in that regard. But yeah, like the, the style of it just definitely feels like those old cartoons of a bygone era, which totally latches on to the, the themes that they're that they're playing at yeah it, it it made me think of um like that that really super old cartoon of the skeletons dancing that you always see but then mm. also something like betty boop just in the way that of how like wide their faces are and how big their eyes are and stuff like that yeah definitely definitely that um but yeah i i fell in love with the music as well like we were talking about it's so silly at times you know potatoes and molasses um <laughs> but then there's like really endearing lovely well-written songs of like the two ships song that Wirt and Lorna sing it's Mm -hmm. only like a verse but like it's it's earnest and it's honest and you can feel it and it's amazing um so the I have a section to talk about the music but uh the soundtrack and everything was done by this group called the blasting company Mm -hmm. um and you can tell that they'd put their whole you know blast an ass into this thing (laughs) like the soundtrack is so catchy and like as soon as august is like almost wrapped up it's like this soundtrack goes on the record player and it 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 welcomes the the autumn vibe yeah it it very much reminded me of the vibe of shout out to our our friends matt hobbs and puppy songs yeah Um, uh (laughs) basically creating a, a, a ditty, uh, uh, almost, uh, ditty. around any given, uh, type of object or concept. Yeah. And I, I think that's what I like about it. Like too, it's the simplicity and like the earnestness that you play or that you can hear in the playing of the instruments. Like some of the time, like the piano's like a little out of tune, mm-hmm. uh, a little out of key. Um, the singing like isn't polished completely and it just it feels really human it's me. it's human it's old-fashioned it's, it's yeah childlike um and it it just makes you think of the word folk uh regardless in any context <laughs> so i remember watching it the first time uh, my friend trish at the time we were watching it with, with subtitles um and once you get past episode one and you start getting into the other ones, there's like a little intro bit of music before the episode starts. And the subtitles are like pastoral music plays. Mm-hmm. And she's like pastoral. Like that's, that's incredibly apt. That is a hundred percent what this sounds like. It's just yeah. pastoral and folksy. Yes. Um, there's, there's fields of grain that we're going over and stuff. Definitely. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the history and production of this. I don't have a ton on this cause I didn't want to, just just roll out some facts. Yeah, let's just so uh this was based on a short that Patrick McHale released mm-hmm. in 2013 um called Tome of the Unknown Harvest Melody. 
So it was just a, a story he put together and he tried to pitch several years prior to Cartoon Network. And they're like, you know, maybe we're not quite ready for this. How about you try this this other thing that's coming up and coming? Go work with uh, Pendleton Ward and, and help him spin up uh, Adventure Time. So it was put on the back burner uh, until 2011 uh, when the idea came back. Uh, it was positively received and was accepted for production to go into miniseries. Um, originally conceived as like an 18 episode kind of thing, but they cut it for time down to 10, mm-hmm. um, you know, for time constraints. But, um, you know, he, this is, this is a, uh, you can tell that like so much love got put into this, um, you know, from that, that Patrick McHale put in. Uh, from the story perspective, the characters to the songwriting and everything um, absolutely captures it. So I haven't seen, there is a short called Tome of the Unknown. And I think Elijah Wood and some of the main cast are still in there. Um, I think Beatrice is voiced by somebody else, but uh, that exists out in the world. I, I don't know where to find it. I haven't seen it yet, but it's a, just a short and it kind of gives a basic idea of what to expect from the rest of the series. Super cool stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, th- that's basically the long and short of it, of just the production. and Like, it sat on the back burner for a while. Cartoon Network weren't ready yet, you know? It was it was probably something weird, and they didn't know how people would react to it. Uh, you know, thinking about... Probably released it at the perfect time, though. Yeah, thinking back to 2004, Bush era, you know, like, it's not ready. They weren't ready for this back then. People will be like, what is this? <laughs> what is this? Get out of here. SpongeBob? Is this what a SpongeBob is? Probably. <laughs> um, Which one of them is SpongeBob? Is there a square squid guy? Um, <laughs> so you started talking about the voice talent, and uh, I want to you know, tip my hat to them. They, they brought it. They brought their A game. Elijah Wood, out the mm-hmm. gate. I knew nothing about the series, so as soon as like you hear him talking, I was like, is that Frodo Baggins that I hear? And yes, he was able to emote so well. And, um, you know, after like a minute, you know, I don't picture his face anymore. I don't picture Elijah Wood behind a microphone voicing the thing. I'm, I'm just seeing Wirt now mm. at that point. He's able to, to fully cap, uh, encapsulate that character. It's a classic success story of like a 35-year-old playing a child. In a teenager, area. yeah. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It really he nails it. So uh, for Greg, they used an actual child, and you can tell. Yeah, that's uh, a kid. <laughs> Colin Dean is a kid. Uh, very genuine, silly as all. Humming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> like, like That's what kids do. That's what's great. Uh, Christopher Lloyd coming out the woodwork as the woods man. Mm. Um, and I, I heard you uh, mention that during the first episode. You're like, who? Who is this boy? Oh, it's Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. You mentioned Chris Isaac as Enoch. Thomas Lennon as Jimmy. Oh, which one was he? He was stuck in the gorilla suit. Oh, he was the, the boyfriend in the gorilla suit. I yeah. yeah. Boyfriend of the school teacher. Yeah. Uh, John Cleese makes an appearance as Quincy Endicott and Adelaide. Very similar voice. He was playing the witch in the woods. Yeah, so as well the, as the rich, which rich guy, the rich guy with the mansion that ex- expanded forever <laughs> into another person's mansion. I will say, like talking about the voice cast, uh, 
I wrote down a note like you can really tell how gay someone is by how excited they get when they realize Melanie Linsky is in something <laughs> um, uh-huh. because I kind of freaked out when I finally realized that she was voicing Beatrice the bird. Yeah. Um, she's, she's a bit of, she's a bit of an icon as a character actress. And I always get excited whenever uh, she pops up. It's a yeah. Melanie Linsky joint. Yeah. Uh, this, this is what it was. I'm glad you were able to discover that. Mm, yes. Uh, and then uh, you can add this to your, uh, to the Tim Curry watch as well. He shows up as anti whispers. I have a which... note. Uh, he's playing the anti and it's also a clue reunion, Tim Curry and Christopher Lloyd. Oh yeah, you're right. Oh man. We love to see it. You'll love to see it. Working. But yeah, I remember hearing that voice for the first time. You're like, who is this? Oh, I would not have in a million years thought it was Tim Curry. It's so creepy and weird. And then you're like, oh, I can hear it now. <laughs> it is horrifying. It's an old British man. Yeah. But the uh the voice the voice cast just brings it and sells mm. the whole thing. Um I, I didn't write, write it down, but the uh, the voice of the beast is like a operatic singer, bass singer guy. Um, Makes really prolific. sense. But his, yeah. his character is always kind of like vocalizing from the shadows. You never you never actually see him. Yeah. In any of this. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, I I wish I wrote down his name, but I never heard of him. So I was like, anyway, I'm gonna keep going. He's a nobody. He's a nobody. Who's gonna know what his name is? But, um, if your name yes. in Wikipedia isn't blue, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I can't click on you and learn about you. How am I supposed to do that? <laughs> um, let's dig into, let's take a pause here. I'm going to stop talking for so much. I'm going to let you just kind of give me some of your just thoughts on it. Just, just thoughts overall. I, I kind of summed it up in the fact that I, I appreciate a piece of work that's maybe more of a vibe uh, than just a straightforward plot. Yeah. Um, there's there's so much uh, plot happening uh, episode to episode in this um, in the series, but it's not necessarily every single vignette uh, contributing towards um, the end of the 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 end of the series. It's not yeah. like all of these characters, the school teacher, the mansion owner all get together in some end game style fight at no. the very end to defeat the beast. Yeah. It's, it's really more about these two brothers uh, kind of growing on their own uh, paths as they experience these weird kind of fairy tale-ish supernatural things that happen to them. Uh, Wirt maybe more so than Greg. Greg kind of like stays, uh, stays quirky the entire time, but mm-hmm. he does show uh, a little bit more character towards the end when he's kind of like sacrificing himself for work. And then he uh, faces off against the beast a little bit, always yeah. a little unshakable. Um, but I think Wirt uh, has the, the clearest character arc here just because oh, yeah. of his relationship with Beatrice uh, mm. and their conversations essentially spell out his journey uh through this show um because it it, it essentially starts out where like they save her from like this bracket of thorns and stuff they kind of become friends and then again they're weirdly flirting which i don't have a problem with but uh it's like where was the payoff there um they're like kind of play fighting a little bit but then she's like where you're just like a pushover you just uh do 
whatever anyone tells you to do. Yeah. And then that kind of becomes his calling to overcome that mm-hmm. uh, via this supernatural world, this supernatural journey. And then he eventually kind of faces off against the beast and finds his own inner courage. At yeah. Earth. And then at the same time, he's, you know, he's going on this supernatural journey. What got him there to begin with was, you know, um, pining for this other person. I did. Uh, I did really like that. Uh, it, it was it's it's in the style of so many shows. I mean, you see this in shows even like Game of Thrones, where you have like the penultimate episode has all, all of the the good story. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to like uh, the finale is purely just payoff. But like the penultimate episode is where all the twists happen, all the backstory happens, all the big uh, reveals and stuff. And so I really didn't see it coming because what this show does is like literally the first 10 seconds of episode one, it just drops you in the middle of the woods with no context. They're just walking through. They don't even mention like parents or family or anything. They're kind of just like lost and they're trying to get home. Right. And it's just these two brothers kind of arguing a little bit. Um, And then over the course of the next like eight or so episodes, you get lulled into this like weird sense of like, timelessness placelessness and it's just them experiencing adventures in this place and you don't even care about them going home because they're just going from one place to the next yeah. so uh when when it kind of just jerks you back a little bit in that second to last episode and you realize like, <laughs> oh wait like this is this is a street this is like a small town in america and they're just trick-or-treating and we're we're seeing what happened right before the first episode where they got lost in the woods it's so cool yeah like as soon as you jump into the series you're like what time period even is this because you can't even tell from their clothes even even like, you don't even realize it's halloween you just like well, this it just guy's- looks like a folk yeah folk and they're they're wearing little like wizard quirky outfits and then there's like little bits here and there like in episode two he's poking around one of the houses in pottsfield He's like, oh, I'm looking for a phone. And you're like, okay, he knows what a phone is. But <laughs> still, is this like 1800s or 1900s? Still, like, where are we? And then, yeah, like you said, episode nine is just like the, whoa, what the hell? We're starting out in a bedroom with a teen in a teenager's bedroom. What, like, is this alternate? Is and then, man, what's happening? Yeah, what's even going on? And then at the end, you're like, oh, my God they've been drowning this whole time and they're in limbo <laughs> holy shit um yeah like you said like i was absolutely floored and did not see that coming like oh my god that's what's going on that's what's happening this yeah that juxtaposed juxtaposed with like what's happening in the unknown world which is like them finally coming to fight this beast but it it does feel like one of those shows where like the beast the ultimate antagonist isn't really the the focus at all he's more just like a symbol uh right what what even is he does it does it even matter that he's been fighting with the woodsmen or that he has backstory there it's more just like um a symbol for them to overcome and a I'm, i'm i'm sure someone can make like a growing up metaphor here as well once they uh leave the unknown there definitely is so um uh i wrote down that like this this series kind of circles around the idea of liminal space, mm-hmm. the space between spaces. Oh, uh, I love that. Technically between, right? So yeah. it's autumn. It's set in autumn. You know, it's the time between summer and winter, uh, between oh. like life and death. Uh, 
Wirt is dealing with growing up. He's a teenager. He's growing through adolescence. He's going through it, changing. Uh, if you've noticed, uh, a lot of times when they do like night shots and look up at the sky, this the moon is in half, half moon. Uh, and Halloween being the where the veil is thinnest between, uh, you know, the otherworldly and our world. So it's 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 about that. You are close reading this episode to hell. And I 100 percent love it. it. You know it. Um, I, I also love how they, they make the clear distinction that they're not brothers, they're half brothers. So mm-hmm. there's kind of the implication that like Greg is this like newcomer who maybe work didn't really want in his life as much. And he kind of has to warm up to Greg throughout the series as well, even though he's like, what, like six or something. Yeah. You can totally get the vibe that like work kind of doesn't want anything to do with him kind of, but like he's forced to kind hang of just out annoyed with him. By- <laughs> Yeah, which I totally get. I totally understand that. Like, uh, I've had friends growing up where they had stepbrothers, and Mm. it's that definite stepbrother vibe, that punter kind of vibe, that Jason Newstead from Metallica vibe. Like, you're not my real brother. Jason Newstead from Metallica. Explain that to me. So did you (laughs) – this is a tangent. But uh, VH1 VH1 used to do this series called Behind the Music, uh, and Metallica had an episode. Uh, and they were talking about, um, so in the early 80s, uh, Metallica had a bassist previous. Cliff Burton was his name. He was a badass. Mm-hmm. He was on their first few albums. Uh, they were on a tour in Europe in the early 80s, and the tour bus crashed, and Cliff Burton died. Oh, no. And they had to replace the bassist of Metallica, who was this wildly successful band. Like They just released Master of Puppets and all this kind of stuff. They were kicking ass. Um, and then Stranger they, Things was just happening. Yeah. Just happening, you know, upside down. Uh, so they replaced him with uh, mm-hmm. Jason Newstead, who was a great bassist from this other band, and you know, um, but he never really fit and meshed. And there was like uh, uh, constant, you know, like infighting between the band, and kind of like they treated him as the other, in a sense. And he eventually left the band because he was mm-hmm. tired of getting sidelined and pushed around and all that kind of stuff. I'm kind um, of sad that that didn't work out. I know, but he's 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 still doing things. Jason Newstead, you know, he was from this band called Flotsam and Jetsam, which is pretty cool for those of you who love Little Mermaid. But <laughs> anyway, okay, that's a really good segue to talk about the music. So I already talked about Jack Jones. You know, he had his hits in the '60s, '50s, '60s, '70s. You know, uh, I well, I got him here. Uh, Lollipops and Roses, Wives and Lovers is another one, and he also did the Love Boat theme. That's Jack Jones singing the love. Okay. Yeah. So you see, he's kind of like a, a, a deep voice crooner. Yeah. He's a guy. But um, yeah, so I was talking about the Blasting Company. They are this American nouveau folk band based out of LA. That is exactly how I would describe this show. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's that perfect blend of the pastoral, folky, Americana. Yeah. rated the witch. Definitely. <laughs> yes, it is. It really is. You're right. Uh, they carry the the way that they're able to, you know, just carry the weight from scene to scene, from episode to episode seamlessly by way of soundtrack is, mm-hmm. is masterful. The little it, songs, the little ditties you talked about are just remarkable. They're great. Well, I, I mean, one of the central uh, ditties that we we kind of focused on was uh, potatoes and molasses, mm. which of course happens in episode three, I believe, when they yeah. visit the school. 
the school in the middle of the woods with the the human teacher and the animal uh, children. <laughs> For some uh, reason. And then that that's what kind of inspired this this week's uh, cocktail, cocktail of, of choice. Yeah, uh, tell tell us about it, Justin. So I made essentially uh, this is this is a white Russian, but it's a take on it. <laughs> uh, potatoes and molasses. Uh, there is literal molasses in here. Molasses simple syrup I made. Um, Kahlua vodka, which comes from potatoes. Uh, and, oh, uh, wow. yeah, and, and oat milk. And this is, uh, potatoes and molasses right here. I'll, I'll, uh, you know, I'll make a, a recipe post. And so you guys can try it too. It tastes really good. It tastes real good. You're going to make a recipe for a white Russian. Yeah. Um, I, you, you floated the idea of a potatoes and molasses cocktail. And I realized that I had literally zero of the ingredients <laughs> Right before this episode, I, I put together an, an Aperol spritz, and that's what I've been uh, sipping on, and I'm calling it the North Wind. Ooh, the old um, North Wind. Yes, after after Greg's little dream episode where he visits the cloud people and has to fight the North Wind. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool. So it that is that treat, treating you nice? Hmm. Yeah. I'm actually really surprised because I'm not usually the one in the household who like mixes the cocktails. Like my signature mm. cocktail is a bunch of gin and then some ginger <laughs> ale and I call it a day. I um, love it. But I Googled at the last second how to make an Aperol spritz and I had all of the materials and it came together nicely. I just, I don't have an orange, uh, 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 a slice of orange on hand. I wish I had that. Um, cause that's what gives it kind of that bitter tang. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's doing it for me. Yeah, I, I just knew like I had to do something with potatoes and molasses and I, I, I scoured the internet for any kind of recipe and found something, you know, a, a white Russian made with molasses, simple syrup. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it in there. We'll, we'll throw our both of our recipes in there for the old North Wind and uh, potatoes and molasses cocktails. Mm. So uh, one last bit about the music. Um, so do you recall in the penultimate episode, episode nine, when they go to the Halloween party at someone's house, right? There's like techno music playing in the background. That was also done by, uh, the blasting company, but they did like a in universe band called <laughs> tiny star. Um, and they even went so far to release an EP as the band tiny star in the universe of over the garden wall um it's did that, it look like like did they have like over the garden wall on it or did they literally just release an ep as tiny star they released an ep as tiny star like synth pop dream pop kind of music as just being in that world of i guess it's like 80s is the time uh, period that they're in super cool i love that um, i'm gonna spotify it you should you should check it out super cool and then they also did um like a little uh, expanded songs called sketches of the unknown, which has like some of the, you can tell some of the footprints and footnotes of other songs that eventually showed up. They were just mm. kind of feeling it out, but super cool. But uh, yeah, I want to talk about my favorite, favorite episode. And I remember just before this episode started up, I was like, Joe, you're about to watch my favorite episode. You, you pointed it out. And after I watched it, I completely realized I was like, this is, this is so Justin for is it? this oh. type of story. Yes. Episode seven. Unexpected. There's lots of like Twists. mystery, but also 
true kind of terror in that yes. episode. Uh, so get into it. Episode seven, the ringing of the bell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is the the big one of the big turning points of the series when it starts to take that darker tone to it. Mm-hmm. They just came off of Beatrice's, you know, um, transgressions, her betrayal. Um, Wirt is kind of starting to lose his will a little bit. So Beatrice. they find they find ref- to sell him to a witch kind yeah, of Yeah, yeah. He's like, All right, fuck that. I'm not trusting anybody. So they find refuge in this little house where Lorna is there and she's just doing chores. Um but yeah, like then you eventually find out like she's really the evil one and it's not this weird looking old lady, Auntie Whispers, like which is a creepy name. Right. And just her dialogue, Auntie Whispers' dialogue is so off putting, but so cool. You know, the sorting of the bones and no one will be hastily gobbled up. She kind of talks <coughs> like this, you know? Yeah. yeah. Very creepy. Super creepy. Uh, and the song that Wirt and Lorna sing, I talked about this earlier. Like, that's one of my favorite songs in the whole series. It's just, it's so perfect. It's short and sweet. And it encapsulates everything of just being honest and genuine and sweet. And it feels like that young adolescent love kind of thing of like, we just met each other. Are we super, are we super into each other? Are we feeling each other? Hey, there's Fitz. Fitz the cat. <laughs> what are you doing, Dave? Uh, sorry. <laughs> there's a cat. My cat is on my desk with me. Uh, yeah, Lorna, voice, voiced by Shannon Sussman. Sussman, or however you say it. Sussman, yeah. Sussman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. very cool love that episode it's just the the wickedness incarnate is so genuinely terrifying like you said i would i like sometimes dread seeing that episode but i'm also so excited because i love it so much but it's, it's so scary it's just an episode filled with like three or four different twists in like a 10 minute time frame because mm-hmm. like they get to the house and then they uh, they realize that the house isn't what they, it seems because this like uh, kind of peasant girl is cleaning it. But then she warns them to go hide because Auntie Whispers is coming back and then they rescue uh, her from Auntie Whispers. But then they realize that like she's kind of the one that's been haunted this entire time and she's kind of possessed and the demon kind of attacks them a little bit and they have to kind of exercise it from her and then. One of the more unexpected bits is that, like, she she goes back to Auntie Whispers and like post exorcism. Like, there's like a genuine caring relationship there that you didn't even realize the whole time because we were prejudiced against Auntie Whispers because of yeah. her looks because she looks yeah. creepy as hell. Don't judge a book by their creepy cover, you guys. Um, but they're they're perfectly happy to stay together and just take care of each other, and then we we move on. It's there's 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 so much conflict and then resolution and then moving on in in each episode yeah um and i think i think it's going to take a few more rewatches for me but one of the one of the things i was looking for in this show towards the end that i didn't really get is is almost because like i am kind of uh trained to expect some sort of end game level everyone comes together at the very end and then we all uh, use our own special powers to defeat the thing. Um, but it really wasn't about that. It's really about like these these two kids and their influence on these little windows of of this world as they yeah. pass through it. It's super cool. Um, 
Yeah, I I highly recommend a rewatch and another mm-hmm. rewatch. But like, especially if you go back and you pay attention to the intro that we played, there's a great shot of Lorna. You can see she's in there, and she is literally so sorting tons of bones in there, and it's <laughs> horrifying. But it's super great. Bones. It's such a great uh, shot. But yeah, the the last episode just perfectly wraps everything up. Um, tears and tears nonstop. I remember just being inconsolable the first time I watched it. I was like, oh my God, they're drowning this whole time. And Greg died, the one that he you know was indifferent to, and now he's dead, but he's not. Um, and then you revisit, you know, across the unknown and you know the woodsman gets his daughter back and it's super great it's yet one of one of the more plotty elements like when when there's actually is like a a a plot is that like it's kind of implied that like a lot of the trees are trapped souls of people who were lost in this world and once the the beast is defeated they're kind of let go a little bit and like the the trees are what the woodsman is harvesting a little bit to to get the oil for his lamp. Am I, am I getting that right? There's... Yeah. Yeah. So there's specific trees, the Edelwood trees, Edelwood, Edelwood. Um, so Edel is, uh, it means noble in German, Dutch and Norwegian to some degree. Um, so like, is it noble souls of children that are trapped in those trees? Probably. Right. Because, um, you know, the woodsman mentions mentions to the boys when he first sees them, he's like, what are you doing in these woods? The woods are no place for children, implying mm-hmm. that, you know, children shouldn't be dying if this is like this in-between limbo world. So like there's already that heavy implication of like the tragedy of like children almost dying, right? Um, and then obviously there's like some machinations between the woodsman and the beast where he says like his daughter's spirit is trapped in the lantern which is why he has to keep feeding it oil but she's really not it's just trickery from the beast just crazy stuff crazy crazy stuff like that but yeah i wanted to start talking about about that like some of the theories and like what even is the unknown joe what the fuck is going on well it it feels very purgatory-ish that they kind of dipped a toe into if you if you want to like like read it on a surface level, like, yeah, they're, they're hallucinating this while they're drowning in a pond somewhere. And this is kind of like uh, uh, a way for them to work through their unfinished business uh, mm. before they move on. But then as is the case with many stories like this, they choose to go back instead of moving on and stuff or they get through it, you know, and uh, they, they kind of, they go back into the human world uh, as better children you know? Yes, they 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 did they done good. They respect their elders. Yeah, because you see at the end, you know, Greg is or not Greg, but Wirt is a little more self assured, and he's able to say, "Yes, Sarah, let's let's hang out, let's listen to this tape that I made of you of me reading poetry and clarinet." Um, yeah, because I'm into you. I'm I almost died. I'm not gonna lose you. It, um, it like taking it further though, it really did remind me of a lot of like level based media like I, I i told you like as we were watching this like there's theories that it's like an allegory for like dante's inferno and yes, stuff so maybe. Levels of hell and then i also told you that it reminded me of the movie snowpiercer yeah talk seen. about that so 
Snowpiercer is a movie by Bong Joon-ho. It came out in like 2013-ish. So Bong Joon-ho, the guy who did like Parasite and the host mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, it's got Chris Evans in the lead. And it's about this futuristic world that's uh, like we, we fucked up on climate change. Everything's covered in ice. You can't really go outside. But there is a train that this like rich billionaire built that is super long and it goes around the world. Like it's on a track that goes uh, around the world. It goes like up into the Arctic and it crosses over the water there. And then it goes like through. So like it's, it's on this never ending loop. It's got this like special engine that'll just, it'll never uh, stop. And so all of humanity is like on this train now that's really enclosed. And the way that it works is like, it's, it's built out into classes by based on the car that you're in. So there's like a hundred cars almost. Sure. Um, and so the head of the train is like first class people. It's like the, the upper echelons of society, upper class people. And then the back of the train is like poor, dirty, horrible living and stuff. And mm-hmm. so Chris Evans, the, the basic plot is that he kind of leads a revolution from the back of the train up to the front and it's it's a, a lot like this in that like every new car that they enter even though it's like literally a train so it's like small but it, it feels almost like a new world that they have to get through that's cool like there's there's one car that's like literally just like a school a school with like a creepy teacher and a bunch of kids and stuff Love uh that. that's like for the middle class like there's it, it it very much reminded me of that in that there's <laughs> different different obstacles that come with uh, different levels. Yeah. And I, I also I'd be very interested if they ever considered this, but like an over the garden wall style video game would Ooh. almost seem very easy. Uh, yeah. to conceptualize if you're going through it in the same way that they go through these episodes different levels yeah you could for sure jump around and, and mash buttons I can see it in like on like Sega. Right, it feels like the Sega era of like the Aladdin and yeah. Lion King. It's very like flat, but like better yeah. than eight bit. But yeah. it's, it's a platformer. Yeah, 16, 16 bit, thirty two bit for sure. That'd You're be collecting awesome. Collecting like twigs and frogs <laughs> and bells and little pieces. Joe, we should uh, we should pitch that to Cartoon Network. I think yeah. Uh, if you get like a little a little sprite uh, thing, you can mm-hmm. kind of build it on your zero. Uh, have them like do little running and stuff, and yeah. then just hope they don't see it and sue you. Yeah, let's uh, let's just abandon our day jobs and this podcast and just dig into this video game. That'd be great. So next episode will be in about six months, uh, yeah. and we'll check in. Yeah, it'd be great. We'll have gray hair and full beards because. We're just... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you you nailed it. The um, you know, a popular theory is obviously like it is purgatory, limbo of some sort. Um, they're between living and dying because they are drowning that you find out in episode nine. Um, and they have to overcome, like you said, their unfinished business or determine like, do they want to stay and give in to the beast, which is death, right? And turn into a tree and just die or, uh, go back, um, with lessons learned that you find along the way. Um, and according to the official art of the over of over the garden wall book, the unknown is a place between life and death, between dreams and reality, which is pretty neat, right? Mm. Um, another case for that is the Cloud City episode, episode eight, where we see Greg's weird Cloud City version of heaven, essentially, is what it is. 
doesn't someone i may be confusing this with someone else but one of the characters tells them like that they're too early or that they shouldn't be here (laughs) Uh, at this point, it's yeah. very much like, oh, your kids, you shouldn't be dead yet, you know? Uh, so that that kind of theme uh, shows up a couple times. So in the very first episode, when uh, I mentioned it, the woodsman says, what are you doing in these woods? These woods right. are no place for children. You know, you realize later that, you know, it's tragic when children die. It usually should be for adults. Um, and then, yeah, the next episode when they go to Pottsfield, he's talking to you know, uh, a lady pumpkin. And she's like, aren't you a little early? Because you find out that they're skeletons, they're skeletons, they're dead. And, but they're still, they still have flesh and and blood. That's such a fun way to describe that. Yeah. Aren't you a little bit early? Yeah. But yeah. So Greg, Greg's version of heaven cloud city, which is why it's so silly and weird. It's because Greg himself is silly and weird. And that Mm -hmm. was his version of heaven. That's his version of it. Cause he was closest to dying than worked. Because he was younger, he's smaller, he almost died just being exposed to the elements. But Real he chose fire firefly situation. Yeah, he chose to save Wirt by going with the beast and going back. Um it, it incredibly dark and sad. But um yeah, so we talked about this and we'll do a quick deep dive into this before we wrap up. But yes, the Dante Inferno's connection. <laughs> Joe, th- would you believe it if I told you that there is an incredible Tumblr page, Tumblr, <laughs> called the I would Boy believe anything you told me about Tumblr. The Boy and the Bluebird.tumblr.com. Oh wow. Has this incredibly detailed analysis of each episode and how it pertains to Dante's Inferno story. There's well, so of, many connections to it. It's one of the biggest connections is that yeah. Beatrice is literally a character from Dante. hundred percent. Who leads them deeper into, um, you know, into hell in the story. Like that's a dead giveaway. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the story, Dante's Inferno, there's Dante and Virgil, which is Greg and Wirt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a description of Lucifer in Dante's Inferno as, you know, being multifaced and horned. Mm-hmm. which is the beast. He's got all the faces of the trees on him and his horns are the antlers, like it's crazy stuff. Um, I'm going to run through some of each episode and how it pertains to each level of hell. Oh, hell yeah. Give it to me. It's so cool. All right. So the first episode, the entrance to the gates of hell, right? And the old grist mill, they both start in a forest. It's not technically a layer of hell yet, but it's the entrance. So weird stuff is kind of circling the entrance there. Dante is attacked by a wolf. Greg is attacked by the dog who swallowed the turtle, who is kind of wolf-esque, right? Super cool. Second layer is Limbo. Episode two, Hard Times at the Huskin Bee. Uh, This is the actual first level of hell. The denizens of this level are actually waiting for something, like essentially salvation in a way. Um, But they've waited so long, they've withered to skeletons. Um, And then there's a connection between like Enoch and King Minus in there, who's the judge of the damned, and they're both described as like, or they both are like giant immortal creatures that are kind of serpentine-like. It's super crazy, right? As soon as I got to this point, I was like, oh, fuck, this is 100% accurate. You're like, I am in. Yeah, so there's like lust and schooltown follies um, with Miss Langtree. She's a lustful sinner, obviously. Uh, Songs of the Dark Lantern is gluttony. Like that's when Greg is like eating a lot of food and not getting full. That's the tavern one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, greed 
is Mad Love is the next episode with Quincy Endicott. Obviously, it's greed. He just keeps expanding on his mansion, can't stop yeah. building. Yeah, his uh, uh, one of my favorite quotes is, is that he says in there, is the, let us retire to the parlor and enjoy my excessive and unnecessary amount of wealth and luxury. <laughs> <laughs> and they're trying, the entire episode, they're trying to steal like two pennies from him and they can't do it. Which is, again, another connection to Dante's Inferno. Yeah. Two cents to take the ferry across the river Styx. The, the Chiron yeah. ferry. Yeah. Uh, anger, is, the next level, is the lullaby in Frogland when they're on the ferry. <laughs> uh, the angry frogs uh, show up there. Then there's the city of Dees, um, the wall that separates active and passive sins. And that's kind of like the turning point of the series. That's when it mm-hmm. starts to get real dark. Um, Adelaide scissors kind of represents the Greek fates cutting the life short, the strings of life. Um, heresy is the ringing of the bell and that's the exorcism of Lorna. Like that's the ultimate kind of exercise of Catholicism and heresy and stuff like that. Shannon's um, awesome. Yeah. Violence is the next level. That's babes in the wood. And that's episodes eight. That's, um, that's a dream episode where he's kind of yeah yeah um so there's a part in this level of hell uh called the wood of suicides like fucking rad right um those that took their lives are transformed into what trees um so you see the start of that episode they're in a boat leading to a tree crazy stuff uh fraud is the next level of hell and it's into the unknown that's the backstory right when we Mm -hmm. see them in the real world um, Wirt is trying to impress Sarah, but he's kind of like repressing his true self. So he's kind of being a fraud in that way. I'm sure um, it means something else, but like, I just love how fraud is like the second to last, last <laughs> circle like, of hell. Worst thing you can do. Like, yeah. And uh, your so tax is wrong. You're damned. Yeah. The punishment for this circle is um, falling down a pit or trench into darkness, which is how the episode ends when the boys are, falling into darkness in the water and then the last one is treachery which is the unknown episode episode 10 um this is depict this is the deepest inner circle of hell it's depicted in inferno as cold barren wasteland um this is where lucifer or the beast resides and those that are punished here are frozen forever looking upward into the world turning into an edelwood tree essentially crazy stuff so I want to go back and read Dante's Inferno because it's required I, reading at this point. I read it in college and it, I was I was kind of scared. I read like all all three of them because it's like he does like hell, then purgatory, then heaven as they kind of go through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was so surprised. Like, first of all, it's like an easy read. It's really cool uh, really? And, like, going through all of this. But then also, again, I was like, this could just so easily be adapted into some sort of like really dense, well-storied video game. Yeah. Uh, just because the levels are so clear and there's like a built-in final boss almost. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, would recommend. It's 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 actually a really cool read. Yeah. It's so like reading through that, like I, I can't recommend that that blog article Tumblr enough. Um, it was really cool and enlightening. The boy and the bluebird.tumblr.com. Go check it out. It's super cool. I got to cite my source. Mm. Um, 
but yeah, that's 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 basically all the things I really wanted to talk about and get get into. Joe, give me some of your other thoughts and insights, closing arguments here for yeah. Over the Garden Wall. Just just closing thoughts. Uh, I, I, I'm excited to kind of add Over the Garden Wall to the collection of like children's quote unquote uh, animated television that you can watch and enjoy and like really think deeply about. Uh, as an adult, which honestly is most children's animated television. It is a hundred percent. You're right. It's all pretty great. Uh, the, the bluey uh, show is very <laughs> yep. popular these days. I know. Yep. Yep. Um, but it, it really made me think of other shows like, uh, like avatar, the last airbender obviously was made for kids, but it's like, has an extensive lore to it. Extensive backstory, very much like, episodic storytelling with uh, stories going across one season. And then also uh, an even closer comparison was uh, Gravity Falls. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen much of that, but... I haven't. Oh, okay. That is my one recommendation coming out of this is you got to watch Gravity Falls now. So Great. Gravity Falls is almost like the Disney counterpart to this. So okay. this being Over the Garden Wall was on Cartoon Network. Gravity... F- uh, so Over the Garden Wall came like kind of came out of adventure time, you could say yeah. uh, in terms of like creators uh, moving from one place to another gravity falls came out of the Rick and Morty world okay. or uh, one vice versa. Out. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of uh, creators uh, kind of mixing in that yeah. world. Obviously gravity falls is more for kids, but like so fucking smart in terms of like the, the humor that they have at play, like arrested development style, okay. long-term jokes okay. in place. Yeah. Uh, and also like it is season long. It's only two seasons. Oh, uh, okay. And it takes place in like this random town in the Pacific Northwest with these two kids. And it's like a story across all two seasons that builds. It's not just like uh, each episode is its own thing. Anyway, um, similar ish. Um, uh, animation style, although a little bit more, definitely a little more wacky mm-hmm. and uh, vibrant. This one, uh, Over the Garden Wall, is a little bit more subdued, I yeah. would say. Um, so if 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 Over the Garden Wall is folk, uh, Gravity Falls is more like pop ish. Okay, all right. Uh, still very much the same vibe. Uh, I would I love that. definitely recommend. I've seen like posts on the internet of like comparing the two, and you know, you've you have sold me. So thank you. Mm. Um, yeah. I, yeah. So before we get into the end games, uh, I wanted to hit you with just like a couple trivia Easter eggs. Um, go back and watch that intro bit for before the mm-hmm. first episode, and you'll get a lot of, you know, tasty Easter eggy things in there. Looking through each episode or level, right? Um, so uh, there's some significance of the black turtles that you can see throughout that pepper themselves throughout the episodes. Right. Okay. Um, that's somehow like a connection to the beast in some way. You can see some characters like pick it up and throw it away um, to like get away from. They understand that it's evil. Again, and, like st- Studio Ghibli influence, like it's, it's something black and muddy and slimy. And when you eat it, it turns you uh, bad. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, what is that one? That you're right. Spirited away. Spirited away. Yep. Um, Pottsfield. <laughs> Here's a good one. I love this one. Pottsfield from episode two, Hard Times at the Husk and Bee. Pottsfield is a reference to a potter's field from the colonial times. Okay. This is a place where unidentified and poor people were buried. 
makes sense in the context of that episode yeah right it's so dark and weird and deep like that so like i can't wait to show this series to my daughter because on the surface level she's going to think it's silly songs with cartoons and stuff like that but as she gets older she'll be like oh my god there's like layers to this oh Super my cool. god so Joe, cute. so cute so here we are at the end end games so i was trying to think of something clever and i was trying to come up with something like are you smarter than a fifth grader are you smarter than greg who beat the beast so i was going to call this game beat the beast and beat give the beast beat the beast and kind of give you michael kane michael kane beat the beast welcome back it's, fant- <laughs> it's fantastic um it's it was going to be kind of like colonial style riddles you oh know, god <laughs> kind of like what the beast gives greg right you know find me a, a golden comb a spool of silver thread catch the cup or catch the sun in a cup and i was like i, I wouldn't find have it. gotten any of them but yes so what i decided ultimately on joe is let's play two old cat and when i get when we get back we're gonna play two old cat with joe and justin on the uncultured cinematic universe and joe is gonna learn what two old cat is <laughs> Welcome back. We're going to play Two Old Cat featuring Joe uh, as our guest. Uh, so Two Old Cat is a reference. Um, when they go to the school, uh, Greg is hanging out with the animals outside the school. And he's like, do you guys know how to play Two Old Cat? Let's, let's oh, go get these Two Old Cats. Um, oh, my God. I completely forgot. And then they grab the Two Old Cats from the... Like, wait, <laughs> no, Greg. that cat's too old. Uh <laughs> And you hear it again in episode nine before they <laughs> enter the the house party. There's yeah. a guy out front talking to somebody else and it's a throwaway line. And he's like, yeah, there's plenty of other games of, of baseball that you can play. You can play one old cat, two old cat. <laughs> so like hilarious. So what we're going to do, Joe, we're going to play two old cat. Okay. Who's the older famous Catherine? Oh, are you ready? God. So you're going to give me two Catherines and I have to guess the older. Who's older? Okay. All right. Playing two old cat. Here you go. Level one. I'm gonna I'm gonna rock this. Cat Von D, the famous tattoo artist. Okay. Or Cat Dennings, the actress. Who's oh, older? Shit. I'm gonna say Cat Von D, because I know Cat Dennings is like mm, mid thirties. you you would be correct. Cat Von D born in eighty two. Cat Dennings eighty six. Okay, that's already very close, and I hope it gets easier from here. It doesn't. Uh, here we go. Kathy Bates. Okay. Or Catherine O'Hara. Ooh. Oh, you're a bastard. Um, I am going to say Kathy Bates. You would be correct. Born in <laughs> 1948, Catherine O'Hara, 1954. All right, next, Joe, we have Catherine, Princess of Wales. Or Catherine Heigl. <laughs> Catherine, Princess of Wales, like William and Kate. Catherine yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. I was like thinking like Henry VIII's wives. No, I was like, no, 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 no. Um, okay. Hmm. I am going to say Catherine Heigl. I think she's probably about five years older. You'd be correct. Uh, Catherine, Princess Catherine, born in 1982. Catherine Heigl, 1978. Only four years. 
difference there. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, last one here of the famous Catherines, and then I got a couple bonus ones for you. <laughs> Catherine Zeta-Jones. Okay. Or Catherine Tate. Catherine Tate. Catherine Tate from Doctor Who, The Office. Oh, okay, okay. I got you, I got you. Ooh, okay. So I... You want to think Catherine Zeta-Jones because she's married to Michael Douglas, but he's like secretly 20 years older than her. Yeah, Um, it's not a secret. I'm going to say Catherine Tate. You would be correct. 1968. Catherine Zeta-Jones, 1969. Oh, my God. Joe, you went four for four there. She looks amazing. You went four for four. Well done. Um, Lee's last two. bread and butter, Justin. I know it is. Okay, last two. Here we go. Who was the oldest when they died? We got famous cats, Lil Bub or Grumpy Cat. I just had to like code switch so many things in my mind. So now we're talking about actual cats. Actual famous cats. Now we're cats. talking about their death age. Okay, give, was give them to me again. Who was oldest when they died? Lil Bub or Aww. Grumpy Cat? Oh, um, I think Lil Bub died more recently so i'm gonna say lil bub you'd be correct lil bub was eight grumpy cat was seven. Oh my god he was they were babies he or she was only seven i don't they know they were babies yeah so all right you went five for five there one two three four five last one joe can he make a clean sweep you're gonna have to send me a trophy after this i'm gonna uh it's gonna be a cat shaped <laughs> um which famous cartoon cat was created first garfield or heathcliff Oh, shit. See, the issue here is I don't really know who Heathcliff is. Okay. Is that like a Marmaduke type character? Sort of. It's uh, like a, is it like a is it like a comic strip character? Mm-hmm. Okay. Same with Garfield. Garfield was a comic strip character as well. I'm going to say I'm going to use the fact that I don't know who Heathcliff is and I definitely know who Garfield is and I'm going to say Heathcliff was created first. You would be correct, Joe. Six for six. Six for six, baby. Yeah, wow. Back okay. To, Heathcliff. Back to back to back to back. <laughs> Heathcliff created 1973, Garfield 1978. Beat him oh, to the punch wow. five years. But Garfield is the prolific cat. You're right. Garfield's been around for a while then. Wow. Yeah. But uh, Joe, thank you for playing Two Old Cat. Uh, a clear 100%. Six for six. Wow. Next time we play Two Old Cat, we'll see if you can do it again. Please make this a recurring bit. <laughs> Two Old Cat. <laughs> Next time we'll play One Old Cat and see how it does. <laughs> um, great. So that's been it. That is Over the Garden Wall. Joe, thanks for um, indulging me to talk about this episode that I love so much, or this this series that I love so much. Justin, I feel like this was a piece of your soul and Mm -hmm. I see so much of you in this series and vice versa. So thank you for sharing it with me. And I feel like I have a deeper understanding of you as a friend and as a person now. Yeah, I love it. Then that's what we're about. If that's not why we're doing this podcast, then why are we even doing it? We're building bridges. That's what what we're doing. So uh, cool. So check us out again on YouTube or Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Search the Uncultured Cinematic Universe, and we will catch you in two more weeks when we do more spooky things. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, Trick or Treat next. So be on the lookout on Instagram, uh, UCU Podcast, uh, and, and catch us later. Can't wait. See you guys.